Schmuck, the German word for jewelry, signifies for most jewelry designers the week-long international handwork messe and its fringe events in Munich around March time. The jewelry section of the International Fair has been running since 2008, annually attracting jewelers from around the world to showcase, be inspired or connect with others in the field. Alongside several exciting fringe events in Munich that accompany the show, it is the Talente and Schmuck competition selections that are always a highlight for me during the event. This year, the curator for the renowned Schmuck 2023 selection has me counting down the days to see the show. As an internationally recognized and award-winning artist and educator, there is no one who has a better finger on the pulse of contemporary jewelry and its capabilities in conveying ideas. Her own practice has successfully crossed disciplinary boundaries and in her role as an educator, she has supported a range of jewelry designers to develop their identities and set up projects where jewelers tackle themes such as the plight of refugees, mental health issues, politics, consumerism, and much more. I am therefore very excited to welcome to the podcast artist and this year's Schmuck curator, Caroline Broadhead. Welcome, Caroline. Thank you. Yeah, delighted to be here. So, Caroline, to start, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do as part of your artistic practice and beyond? Well, I suppose I've always liked making things and and that's what drives me. So um, I studied jewellery design at college many years ago. And that time it was in the early 70s. There was an excitement about stretching what were seen as boundaries of various different categories. So the scale of jewellery changed, the materials that was made out of, where it was worn, subject matter, etc. So that was exciting for me to be um, out of college at that point. And after a few years of jewellery, I made a shirt and essentially the idea of linking two wrists together with long sleeves. And then clothing became part of my focus for the next 10 years or so. And so, yeah, the idea of using a larger part of the body was interesting and it touched on ideas of identity and stuff, covering up, dressing up, etc. And then I started working with choreographers and dancers uh, you know, working with moving bodies and the dynamics of clothing. And um, one collaborator that I worked with, I started working with in 1997 was Angela Woodhouse. Um, and I'm still working with her now after about 10, 10 pieces together. So we've just, we're just in the middle of uh, a research and development uh, of a thermal imaging video work um, on the theme of touch. So that's one thing I'm doing now. And then other works have involved chairs. I've done quite a lot of things uh, to do with chairs. And I see that as being closely connected to the human body and its expectations. So the chair has got arms and legs and a back and a seat, etc. Um, all made the dimensions of a body and and they're made to support you. So I guess if one questions that, then it transmits an, a sense of instability or unreliability. So and then I've, I've done collaborations with other people, uh, namely my daughter Maisie, several times. And she's she works with photography and takes inspiration from old master paintings, amongst other things. And we've we've connected with ideas, but we have always made independent works. And then other things I've done, I've been drawing on photography and installations. And I've also taught for many years across crafts courses, textile courses, and mainly jewellery courses. And most recently, running the the um, jewelry design course at CSM. You mentioned collaboration with other people. 
for your practice and that's something you've done from very early on how important has collaborating been in your practice and what makes a good collaboration in your opinion so um i think collaboration is really an interesting process what makes a good one i think it's i think it's to do with communication i think it forces you to say what you're doing say what your ideas are say what your aims are and and be um articulate about how you're responding to other people's ideas so it's that kind of exchange of views and and also trying to find that path which combines both so in a way i think teaching is also a bit of a collaboration where again you're trying to put into words <laughs> try to your responses to certain things whether that's a, a sketchbook or a, or a test piece or something you're you're having to force out some words which if i'm working on my own i don't force the words out all the time <laughs> so even though i sometimes try and write notes it's not the same as having somebody in front of you who requires an answer to something. So I think that's a really useful process. And I think the, be the best sort of collaboration is just where something happens, which you wouldn't have done on your own, you know, really wouldn't, you've surprised yourself and yeah, I, I've done something unexpected, I suppose. You are now a renowned artist working across various media, but what drew you to become an artist and how and where did you gain the various skills you mentioned the jewelry course but to work across all these different media how do you gain your skills um I don't know <laughs> nothing formal I don't think but when I was young at home you know my my mother used to and my grandmother used to knit and sew so I did that too I used to draw and I first became interested in metalwork when I was at school I, I went to a kind of a progressive school for my sixth form years and there was a ceramic studio there and uh, taught by a ceramics tutor. But um, but he, he did all sorts of things, finding out for himself along the way, along with me. <laughs> but we made, you know, I made silver earrings and Egyptian paste earrings and enamel things. So um, it was terribly basic, but I really enjoyed it. So when I found out you could study jewellery design at, at college, I applied to Central School of Art and Design, as it was then, now Central St. Martin's. And then I think um, in terms of how I did the clothing, I went to a, um, an evening pattern cutting course <laughs> one time and I didn't stay the whole course, but I got what I needed from the first few sessions. And other things I picked up from other friends, other um, colleagues, the internet now, I've, I've taught myself how to do all sorts of things via that. Even though you may focus on a discipline, you can actually gain other skills and then apply your knowledge across the disciplines as well yeah and I think especially with jewelry because it encompasses so many different materials and techniques <laughs> you know it's, it always astounds me how, how great that range is so jewelry reappears in your artistic oeuvre what is it about the medium of jewelry and the techniques maybe and materials used for jewelry that attracts you for the creation of work what drew me to jewelry was this magic of metal working but then when I got to college, I realised that was not my medium at all, but it, it kind of got transferred to the magic of jewellery. And I suppose it was finding other materials, first of all. So it was, I, I did quite a bit of beadwork right at the beginning and and then carved ivory and um, textiles, um, cotton and nylon. And I suppose I've never thought that jewellery was the only thing I was interested in. It wasn't, wasn't my main thing. And it was always a toss up. Um, whether I should apply to textiles or jewellery when, when studying at college. So I think having those two um, kind of points of interest, I kind of could 
draw one into the other, as it were. So textiles, I love the flexibility of textiles, the tactility of it. So that's what comes from that in interest, I think. And when we look at your work across the board, perhaps we can say that there is an interest in the body and its place of the body in relation to the work that you then create. Is that something that you realize relatively quickly that was an interest or did that sort of appear later on? Um, I think there was a shift from um, when I was at college, it was more about designing an object and then sort of following you know, that after I was leaving college, there was more talk about doing something for the body and and more in a formal sort of way. So I suppose my work has shifted from the body as being a kind of um, impersonal thing to, to the person. So much more about the whole um, kind of psychological or emotional element of a person rather than being a kind of a set of dimensions or a set of movements. You have been invited to curate Schmuck 2023 at the famous International Handwork Messe in Munich. What was that experience like? Uh -huh. Well, obviously it was a great honour, which I was I was delighted to, to be part of it. It's also, you know, it's a bit daunting as well. It's a huge responsibility. And I'm, I was pleased because when I've been to see Schmuck, there's not always a very strong presence of jewellers from the UK. So it was very nice to be invited and sort of and kind of represent the, the UK in that way. It was fascinating to see what was submitted and from whom and from where. <laughs> so, again, it's, it's a, the scope of, of the interest in contemporary jewellery by, by jewellers is, is wonderful. Yeah, so a huge range of work. And you have curated exhibitions before. For example, New Traditions in the 1980s and then Denon Now in 2007. What process is involved in making a selection for an exhibition? I think those two are very different because uh, you start off with an idea and then gather uh, work that kind of substantiates those ideas and put them in relation to each other and that sort of thing and strengthens that position. Um, so selecting schmuck is quite different because you have offered a whole range of things which you don't know what it's going to be. So it's kind of random from that side of, side of things. And it's something that it's a, we, I think, suppose I looked at I think it was about a thousand pieces of work over over a day and a bit. So because it was 600 or so makers and each person was submitting more than one piece. So you have to make a decision <laughs> kind of very quickly and almost no time to really think about things. You know what I mean? But so in a way, it was a great challenge to see what what was the criteria I was using? What, how did I feel about these things in that kind of very... Um, kind of roller coaster style um, uh, way of doing things. But, and there were pieces that, you know, I kind of put on hold and looked at again and again. Some things were definite yeses, some things were definite noes, but, and then there's that difficult bit in the middle where you're trying to select it. I think the, um, the, the number of exhibitors was meant to be 65 and then it went up and then it's gone down to 66 now. One person couldn't um, exhibit, but, so, but trying to get it down to that number at the end was was very difficult, very um, yeah, very hard. <laughs> I can imagine that sounds like a real challenge to me too. Yeah. Um, you mentioned sixty six artists whose work will be on show. Were there then, if you were to come from that without 
an idea in advance for a show, were there any topics in the submissions that you felt were very much of this time? And what would you maybe like the audience to take away from the show? I don't think I had time to think about what an audience would think of it um, because it was quite, um, it, it was very immediate. But I suppose in a way, in a general way, it is that scope of both the kind of um, the motivations for making jewellery, the inspirations, the the styles, the materials and the processes, etc. And so that's what I took away from it. So I hope that's transmitted. And the topics, I think that they there was just a huge range, as you would expect. So some, some things are very um, serious. There was some political um, work there. There was some work that um, addressed post-colonialism, um, environmental issues, all the kind of very serious, very kind of, yeah, very current um, topics. Then there's also a lot of work which was talking about jewellery, which was talking about the language of jewellery. And, and then there's also just things that just are very beautiful, <laughs> very, very nicely put together, very beautiful colours or whatever, whatever it is that attracts you. So I think there's, yeah, there's a whole range of things. And so there's not particularly one direction that's emerging, but 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 the scope of it is is there, I think. You know, with your selection for exhibitions and previously you've written essays as well for accompanying publications, you have charted developments in contemporary jewellery. Are there any developments in the field that you're particularly enthusiastic about that you saw perhaps through the, the work at Schmuck? Well, I think it is those serious issues, actually. I think that's really um, very encouraging that I suppose in the general sense of the word, jewellery seem to be a luxury still by most people, an accessory and not terribly important in the scheme of things. Um, so I think when it takes on major issues, there is something um, that's, that's very encouraging, that people are looking beyond um, a, a kind of a small enclave of a particular craft or art and then and taking on these these wider concerns and, and doing it very well. You mentioned that, you know, you like to go with pieces underpinned by strong ideas. Mm. Could you perhaps elaborate on what is a strong idea in your opinion and maybe give us some examples of pieces that do that particularly well you think yeah yeah well I think a strong piece is something that does something quite simply but in but but is a kind of complex idea and I think you know for instance within that kind of field of talking about the language of jewellery I mean one example would be Lin Chung's pearl chain and so where she's taken a, a kind of string of quite large pearls and carve them into chain links so what once you've seen it you go it's an incredibly straightforward and simple idea but nobody's ever done it before so wow and I think so it's like it's also that combination it's a chain and a string of pearls so it's two iconic pieces of jewellery in one which makes a very particular um strong piece and then I think the narrative behind it being that it was her mother's string of pearls, which were given to her on her mother's death and not wanting to wear them, but wanting to maybe incorporate them into her practice and give them a different life. I think there's also something very um, touching about, about that. And I think there's another, there's another piece that I'll talk about is Baz Bauman from the Netherlands. He's showing a chain made out of chicken bones and he, the, the in a way, it seems a very ordinary piece. In a way, it's a chain made out of bone. <laughs> but 
he talks about the the way his mother cooked a chicken soup for the family every week and his father at the soup and also chewed on the bones so so he says it's a tribute to his his parents and for each those reasons but also to the animals that that gave their lives for the soup and then he and he refers to his appreciation of ethnic jewelry and the kind of magical and the natural and the element of gratitude for for animal sacrifice so in a way it's, it becomes an embodiment of a whole history of of jewelry and 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 also it's a it's a kind of a, a form of memento mori so it's it's got it's a much bigger narrative than the actual piece itself so that one's yeah both of those are very strong and i think i i chose quite a lot of chains it was pointed out to me so uh, another two of interest were um actually two strangely were very connected even though the from opposite sides of the world one was from Xi Jin Wei from China, and one was from Andrea Auer of Austria. And Xi Jin's was with a chain made out of um, links of, of carved jade, and each one was intersected with a small roll of sellotape, sticking tape. And then Andrea's was made up, was all made out of rolls of sticky, sticky tape. So how they'd actually done it, I have no idea, which was the mystery is such a, a pleasure <laughs> somehow. But, um, you know, that idea of how I, what you value and, and whether it's something you've has been overlooked or something extraordinary precious and cr highly crafted I think all of those things are, are always interesting yeah so even though the chain is very ubiquitous there's each one of those and the other ones besides are kind of um offering a new approach about what where um where a particular value lies yeah yeah what what we take for granted and what we value how important do you think it is for submitting artists, but in general, jewellers or, or artists who write statements that accompany the work, that actually bring across some of the thinking processes that may be a bit invisible behind the work to convey them to an audience or a viewer? First of all, I think you have to have a really good photograph. And sometimes work is not taken up because the photograph doesn't do the piece justice and you can't see it properly you don't know what scale it is what so I think first of all the image is really important and I particularly like reading about a work and I know that some people are very much against it they say work should speak for itself but I think if there's anything else to say about it like things that you can't take from the work itself I think it adds another dimension and it's yeah, it's really useful. And um, and sometimes that's the reason why things are chosen, you know what I mean? Because you you realise there's a lot more thinking behind the piece than than at first glance. So yes, I think that a carefully written text in a, in a succinct way is, is really very useful. As a society, you know, we face these significant challenges beyond those of a sort of more direct and personal nature as well. Do you think it is important for jewellers to engage with these types of challenging topics? And in what ways do you think this is maybe happening now? And would you like to see this engagement increase, if valuable? Yeah, I think that that's that's something I, I think it would be really, is really good. So, and I think that those, those very important issues are, are being addressed if even if it's only by a few people at the moment but um i think this the use of materials is one thing and and where materials come from 
where you know whether that's from waste or um, upcycled recycle that that's been going on for quite a long time but there's particular people who are being more critical about that and i think beatrice brovia is one person who's italy sweden so she she works with the link between luxury and wastefulness which i think is very interesting and the piece she's showing is is she talks about it being a link between athletic efforts and aesthetic efforts <laughs> uh, so i think though that kind of idea of performance and fragility and something that's new and very old at the same time she talks about all those issues in this piece and and i've only seen it in a photograph so it's <laughs> i'm looking forward to seeing it in real life so i think that's that's um that's a, a very um interesting way of working and normally she has or not normally, but she's sometimes used waste materials from the technological waste. So I think that's also a step forward in terms of talking about much wider ways we treat our our materials and um, and how we waste them. And I and I think um, there's Sarah Powell and Christina Loritz. So Sarah's from England and um, Christina's from Estonia. So both of them have. I've got a piece in which which have similarities. So Sarah's work is made out of the materials from the Jurassic Coast. So sort of shale, flint and chalk, I think it is. So she talks about sustainability and the physicality of making, presumably collecting these materials and then forming them into, into sculptures and jewellery. So again, about um, resi resilience and fragility, which I think is really quite a key um element nowadays <laughs> about um human human future um and uh, and christina lawrence what the one we've chosen is a piece of um is a, is a necklace made out of soil and a diamond so i think that those are really um kind of quite forward ways something very raw and basic about about that approach and i think there were the other ones that i would mention here are well, Nana Maland from Norway is she's showing um, a, a cast ring, and it's cast uh, from a plastic toy which was found, which was distributed in boxes of cereal in the 1940s in America. And it, she calls it a ring of ignorance, but it, it, it the ring shows a little atomic bomb. <laughs> so this was a clay thing for a kid, um, and it and it boasted a, a, a kind of a perfectly safe. Um, release of energy atoms so use the mind boggles of what what they were thinking of so she just cast it in metal and um yeah just to highlight what you know <laughs> the ignorance of 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 how how people think about those those things and then uh, paloma cobos is from argentina and she's uh, produced some textile pieces um to wear and and they're about her family um kind of history of the Chilean dictatorship so their experiences of torture and murder and so they're they're very poetic and um, poignant so she talks about the use of threads both um, frayed kind of loosening separating and being tied together so this kind of notion of kind of the metaphoric separation and, and being brought together again and she also uses copper because the referencing the mines in the Atacama Desert where copper is mined but this is where those atrocities were taking place so I think there's there's a lot of of those that kind of wide thinking I would call it but yes and there are other works that that kind of refer to religious beliefs 
and I think there's Jimena Rios from Argentina and Hannah Norris from the UK and the one particularly I'll talk about now is Cecilia Richard from also from Argentina and she her work is is wax candles but on a continuous wick so it it's very nice it's like a bead necklace but it's obviously referring to lighting of candles in all sorts of situations so it's a very a very simple idea again very cleanly put and but but full of associations oh and i think the, the other ones i should mention here are also kind of things with a bigger kind of a bigger subject matter so neki moa from new zealand so she's put in a carved amulet and it's made of paunamu uh, which I've never heard of, but it's a it's the New Zealand jade, which is the it's a traditional Maori uh, material, and she talks about it as being a, a weapon for the everyday. So it's about a, an amulet to kind of empower people, and very much about a, a Maori cultural background and and the material she collects from the beach. So something very nice. Again, I think it's the basic is the connection with the with the environment and with a direct. Um, uh, relationship with materials and then um both Geraldine Fenn and uh, Louisa Cushel both are both kind of talking about this post-colonial issue so Geraldine she was has been looking at the objects that were acquired by the conquerors and uh, you know of, of South Africa and put into a cabinet of curiosity um for viewers in Europe to look at and 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 for them to be considered as exotic heathen and uncivilized as she put it and the fact that these have been taken in very questionable circ circumstances and and caused outrage and and harm so her work is taking the turning the tables and taking pieces from the colonial heritage and and kind of framing them to be looked up upon as a sort of something exotic so i i respect that kind of that attitude of, of taking something back and and louisa um is she explores her experience as a black woman and um, she takes in the history of beadwork and, and the cultural, its cultural role in Africa, but and and also about the slave trade. So she makes chain beaded chains that are and are very strong and, and kind of large to the body. And she talks about the pieces being they're not meant to be worn, they're far too uncomfortable to be worn, but they are kind of works that speak of this dreadful jewellery. So I think those works with a kind of a stronger message really appeal to me. And some of these pieces perhaps go along with my sort of next question or a question I have been asking myself and some others in past podcast episodes, sort of with the dangers of anthropocentric or human-centered thinking having become a topic of much debate. How do you think artists, designers, and in particular jewelers, whose canvas is often sort of of a human scale or of the human body, could and should meaningfully engage with this theme? Should we change our process or way of thinking? Or is there scope for us to, to engage in this? Well, I think, as I see it, is that you know the humans are no longer the most important thing in the world it's the world itself so i think again th those those pieces that i've mentioned that are talking about a broader kind of involvement with the world um are the ones that i think are are the ones of now because in a way they are putting the human secondary to environmental kind of concerns and and other connections and 
So yes, I think the idea of anything human centric is now over. <laughs> Sorry. And do you think that sort of the jewelry as a catalyst for conversations and sort of activism that that actually is a thing we can use as a benefit when we're talking about tackling and discussing these ideas yes definitely that is one of the roles of jewelry I think it is a talking point and I suppose it's something I also think there's a, there's there's room for a lot of different things in both art and jewelry and any other area that but there is a possibility that jewelry can be used for this and can be a very strong kind of um yeah cat- catalyst for change your work does not stick to disciplinary boundaries what do you think are the benefits and disadvantages of disciplinary events such as schmuck and do you think there is value in making clear distinctions between what is and what is not jewelry yeah that's interesting um I suppose I never think there is a clear boundary between anything. <laughs> There's always overlaps and fuzzy areas and kind of the grey bits. Um, and I think it, and as far as Schmuck's concerned, there was there were limitations. And but it is something. There's a scale um, kind of limit. And and I think they they say that it's got to fit into a cabinet because of the the nature of the display doesn't change. So if it's anything too big or um, it can't be a photograph, for instance, or a video. Or, so, so within those limitations, I think it's it's interesting just to see how people can stretch that um, area. And I think that it's interesting because Schmuck has happened, I think, is it the 60th year, maybe something like that. So within those parameters, it's interesting to be able to see it as a historical kind of document that goes forward and how it, that evolves. I think there's certainly scope for having a different sort of an exhibition with a wider a wider remit than than that, but. I think that the fact that this one stays more or less the same is is kind of interesting because it allows for change within those 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 parameters. Is there value in having discussions both with people that are of your discipline between brackets and also have discussions with people outside of these disciplines if is there value in both? of these or do you see that the future would be that conversations are taking place much more interdisciplinary only oh I think there's a huge benefit having um an overlap of disciplines but I think in a way it's interesting that there's got to be a core for each discipline which which knows what it's about (laughs) do you know what I mean because otherwise it can be it can dissipate so I think it's useful to know what a core is, what, what the core of a jewellery or textiles or a fine art or whatever is about. And then you can start kind of exploring the boundaries of that, of where it changes into something else, where it bounces back or it refers back or whether it creates a new area altogether. But but in some ways, it's where it is situated isn't necessarily the concern of the person who's doing it, I think. I think it's about if it's if it's got a strong idea on it, it will land somewhere and somebody will appreciate it. But if it's about trying to find a context for that, then that's something different. I think, I mean, I remember when I was doing the shirts that I knew it wasn't jewellery, but I didn't know what it was. So I didn't know quite where to put it. (laughs) So in a way, if you're if you're um, changing the kind of the core of what you're doing, then you have to be very aware of where those where that lands, where that kind of centres on. Even having 
having people from a discipline but with a very different viewpoint talking to people who uh, have another different viewpoint is very useful even if they're from the same area of the same subject there's always points which um, enlighten and expand it for somebody else. Now you have had an impactful career as an educator as well what is maybe your key bit of advice for graduates starting out in the field hoping to make a career out of their creative practices? This is always difficult because it's actually about the individual but what I would hope that um, graduates come out with is a resourcefulness and an appreciation of their own creativity and hopefully they would gain an understanding of of themselves of their of a sort of self-awareness where their strengths lie and I think people have got to be persistent and they've got to keep going and and I think if things aren't quite right or they don't feel right maybe you you change where you're directing your work to you know sometimes it's the audience that's at fault not you but but on the other hand, there's no there's no dogma about that because sometimes it is your fault. You know, you're not producing the right goods to the right um, price or right um, quality or whatever it is. So um, I think it's it's um, it's working out what you're good at basically and 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 pursuing that. I think that's a valid piece of advice. And then aside from the curated show at Schmuck in March, is there anything we should look out for in the near future that you have been or are working on that you are happy to share at this moment in time? Yeah, well, um, uh, five of us. Um, so um, Melanie Georgiakopoulos, Francis Wadsworth-Jones, Lynn Chung, Maria Malizzi and I, we put on um, an exhibition last year in London called Pearl. So it's it's our responses to Pearl, you know, whether that's Mother of Pearl, Pearl, the idea of Pearl. And anyway, so it's going to go to the Gallery Platina in Sweden in April and then to Atta Gallery in Bangkok in August, I think it is. Um, so that's exciting. We're going to, you know, that's got a tour. And then uh, Lin Chung and I will do a, a, a two-person show in Gallery Reverso in Lisbon in September. And then I've got uh, just one piece in a, in a, an exhibition in France called L'Air de Bijoux in Adje in South of France, and, and also one piece in the Central St. Martin show in Vitsu in Munich, so during Schmuck. So, they, yeah, yeah, those are pieces. Art and jewellery can be a catalyst for conversations, and exhibitions and fairs can be breeding grounds for these most important exchanges. There remains much to be critiqued and discussed in this world with global challenges at play that whether we like it or not, we are inevitably a part of and in even some cases directly contributing to. With additionally an inhibiting cost of living crisis can be hard to remain positive and look beyond. It is therefore most inspirational to listen to Caroline, who with her own work and her curation of work aims to provide a platform for creative voices navigating these challenges and topics. For your contributions to date and for your time to speak to me today, I would like to thank you a lot, Caroline. We certainly cannot wait to see your selection in Munich and follow what you do next. Thank you. Well, I hope you like the selection. <laughs> Next month, I'll be joined by another guest. So watch this space to find out who it is. But for now, this was Sophie Wounds for the BAJ podcast episode titled Schmuck 2023 with Caroline Broadhead. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.